before I jump in, we just want to extend on, on behalf of Cody and I a humongous thank you to everybody who came out last Sunday night to our um, album recording. We had so much fun. It went so smooth, and, and that is all due, number one, to the Holy Spirit's peace throughout the whole process. But just a wave of volunteers from you guys, from the band and the crew and the tech people to um, just the people who were hosts and, and serving well and serve people from outside of our house who came in to make sure that they had a warm and welcoming environment to encounter the Lord. So we're very, very thankful for each of you and everything that you've done and how you've prayed for us, how you've supported us, and, and we're very excited. And uh, in the short future, we'll have some updates on a timeline for release. So very excited. Woohoo, woohoo. It'll be available, Spotify, YouTube, everywhere you can find it. So uh, today I want to jump in. Uh, three weeks ago now, uh, Pastor Chris started a series on God is restoring all things, talking about the restoration of God, what it looks like activated in our lives. Last week, Scott talked about how we are called to compassion. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk about the power of forgiveness. Oh, the air just went out of the room. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to have to forgive. <laughs> No, but I, I want to talk to you about the power of forgiveness and what forgiveness releases in our life. Because did you know that the Lord is never going to ask you just to empty your hands and they're going to stay empty forever. He always trades you. He always gives you something more. He always, he never leaves us empty. So if the Lord is asking you to put something down, get excited because you're about to get something amazing. <laughs> If sacrifice is in your life right now, if you feel like you are having to close the door on some things, get excited because new doors are coming. And a blessing of heaven is going to come because as you're faithful and you're obedient, the Lord sees that and he's going to honor it. He's a good God. He's a good father. He knows how to good give, give good gifts, right? All right. So today we're going to talk about the power of forgiveness. Let's turn to uh, Hebrews 12. We're going to be jumping around a little bit today, but... We'll start in Hebrews 12, but I, I believe that it's God's will for us to live in radical forgiveness. Apart from it being a command to forgive, living in forgiveness unlocks power to every area of our life, just as living in bitterness allows decay to creep into every area. And forgiveness is a very broad subject, so I will say it was kind of a struggle knowing which way to go <laughs> in this, because there are so many parables, there's so many teaching of Jesus. There's so many Old and New Testament references to forgiveness, but that's the good thing is that he never leaves us without instruction, and he'll never, again, leave us empty. So I pray that today is more of an appetizer for you to go on this journey of forgiveness and what it looks like, and I pray that you're going to see the fruit of walking out forgiveness quickly. Amen. In Jesus' name, I, I just bless you with that. And so we're going to talk about what it releases, the power that it releases. So uh, if you're like me, Sometimes you have arguments with the air <laughs> in that, <laughs> you know, I, I was walking out to my car, like I think just get, like getting groceries out of the back of my car the other day, and something from a long time ago that I had forgiven and let go, like it's all good, like me and this person are great, like whatever, but I was like, and then if they say this, then I'm going to say this, and then they'll be like, you know, you don't even know about this. I know like, you don't even know about that, like just like this crazy <laughs> crazy person argument about literally nothing. 
nothing had happened. <laughs> nothing was going to happen. Nothing was on the edge of tension in the relationship. Nothing. It literally was just this fake argument that I was having. And then I would say this. And then they wouldn't even be able to respond because this would be so cool and great and witty. Like, no, it was terrible. And I realized as I'm just going about my day, I caught myself and I was like, oh my goodness, why am I so tense right now? Like, why am I so like offended about, again, literally nothing? So I catch myself, the Holy Spirit says, all right, stop. <laughs> that was a nice little show that you put on for yourself. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Uh, but I, as he's literally, simultaneously, I'm walking to my car. He says, what are you doing? And then I see a stick that is, it, it resembles quite honestly, the most dangerous snake in the world, probably. And it was just propped up in our flower bed. And I jumped, like, again, a crazy person talking to myself, and then just jumping out of the way of a stick, and because I thought it was a snake. And the Lord says to me, you know, <laughs> offense can distort our view of reality. The snake is actually, it's just a stick. It's just a stick. This offense, this fake argument that you're having actually holds no power unless you give it power. Exactly. Offense can distort our view of reality. Don't give too much power to things that aren't real and they're not worth it. So I just got like a one-two punch from the Holy Spirit. He's like, stop that. Oh, there's a snake. No, it's not. It's not a snake. It's just a silly little offense that you need to stop it and get over it. <laughs> Go bring your groceries inside before the chicken thaws out and you make your family sick. So... So, I'm excited to see forgiveness in the room today. All right. <laughs> Let's turn to Hebrews 14. We're going to read Hebrews 14 and 15. Chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, sorry. Chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. You there? Say Amen. Amen. All right, let's read it together. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root, say bitter root, grows up to cause trouble and defile many. We're going to uproot bitterness with forgiveness today. I want to talk about this, that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. They often go hand in hand, but reconciliation, simply defined, can say living and interacting as though no offense had ever occurred. Sometimes it can be inappropriate or even unsafe. It, for example, cases of abuse. Or that boyfriend, girlfriend, you know you're not supposed to be back together with. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, so, but forgiveness is always appropriate. Forgiveness is always an option because forgiveness says no one is in debt to me because I am not in debt to my father. No one's in debt to me. No one owes me anything because I owe my father nothing because he paid it all. So I want to live a life with, through the power of forgiveness. Today we're going to look at two stories of forgiveness and how they tilled the ground that we're standing on today, they foreshadowed what Jesus ultimately bought, the inheritance and power that flows from it. 
So in Genesis 25, we meet two fraternal twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau was described as a big, burly man. He was the hunter. He was, you know, just out there living his life. But he also was described as a godless man. And he did not uh, take the birthright, which was the spiritual blessing that fathers would uh, lay hands on their children and bless them before they passed. And it also involved a lot of physical inheritance, but spiritual inheritance was the main emphasis. He had no value for it. Uh, And so Jacob, one day, as you're probably familiar with the story, Esau comes in from a hunt, very exhausted, very hungry. Jacob's cooking up a really good meal. He smells and he's like, that sounds awesome. That smells delicious. If only I could have some of that soup. And Jacob said, here's an option. Since you don't really care about it, (laughs) why don't you trade this? For your birthright, because Esau was the firstborn. And he says yes. And, and, and so Jacob steals and takes away the birthright from him. Fast forward, Isaac, their father, is on his deathbed. And Jacob comes in wearing goat skin on his arms to pretend like his hairy brother, <laughs> tricks his dad, and receives the blessing, the birthright. Esau comes in and is distraught because he realizes His entire life, he's been waiting up until this moment, and it was taken away from him like that. So Esau, obviously enraged, he vows to kill Jacob. In Genesis 32, 20 years later, after a series of crazy events, if you've never read through Genesis, do it. That's the, in January, I read through Genesis, and I was reminded of a lot of things, but I also caught on to some really cool details that the Lord just will illuminate to you sometimes. So, read through it again. 20 years later, God tells Jacob to return to his homeland. He sends a messenger ahead to Esau, and he's told that Esau has a lot of possessions, a lot of power, and a small army of 400 men with him. So Jacob is obviously intimidated. He's terrified to go back. But the Lord said, go back and I'll be with you. So he goes. He prepares. He is preparing for the absolute worst. He divides all of his possessions, all of his children in different groups. And he's like, okay, we're going to go, stay, stay here, and this is how we're going to approach the situation. Probably shaking, he approaches Esau in Genesis 33, 1 through 12. So we're going to read through this together. If you, you don't have to turn there. We're going to have it up on the screen. Do we have it? No. Genesis 33, 1 through 12. Okay. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. Then Esau looked up, saw the women and children and said, who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, these are the children God has graciously given your servant. And they approached them and they bowed down. Next Leah and her children came and they bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. He had sent him a gift. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. He says this to Esau. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. 
now that you've received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me and all that I need. Esau said, let's be on our way. I'll go with you. Number one, the power of forgiveness allows people to see God's work in their lives, primarily through the work and the blood of Jesus Christ, but also through forgiveness among brothers, among enemies, among families. It puts God's power on display. There is no other way that that moment went the way that it did without the grace of God in the situation. There's no way. There's no way. Jacob said, seeing your face, Esau, is like seeing the face of God. Now that you've received me favorably. Jacob had interacted with God many times. And yet, he said, this moment reminds me of him. Will people who have heard us see God's familiarity in us? When an opportunity for forgiveness arises, will people be met with favor? Will we carry the likeness of Jesus? When people see us in a moment of hurt, maybe it's been a long time since you see them, are they going to feel like, wow, I feel the presence of God in this place because you've shown me favor, because you've been kind to me, because you've shown me grace in this situation? Are we going to let them see God's work in their lives. Number two, the power of forgiveness brings people home. It brings people home. The Lord told Jacob to go back to the land and he would be with him. When he told him, Jacob's concern was probably with, will there be a spot for me when I get there? You know, they've, they've got a lot of herds, a lot of possessions, and they need land. They need places to, to, to set up their home. But he knows Esau's in the land. Is there going to be a spot for me at all? <laughs> or am I going to be, worst case scenario, killed? Right? Taken out. But like the prodigal son and his father in Luke 15, he had no idea what awaited him. Fortunately, the father was waiting. The father had already prepared Esau for this moment. You think about the years, the 20-year span between this moment of deep betrayal and hurt between twin, twin brothers not seeing each other for 20 years, surely the Lord had been doing a work in Esau's life of preparing him for this, for this supernatural forgiveness. It said that Esau was a godless man. God had come in and softened his heart towards his brother because it was important that their reconciliation set up the unfolding of the story of the Israelites. Right? So... May we be a people, may we be someone not like the prodigal's brother, but like the father. That God would see God the father in the way that we interact with each other. That we are standing with open arms of love and restoration for those coming home. That we would be able to pray for them, disciple them, and love them well without strings attached. Because it's one thing, I, I will mention this, it's one thing to have somebody who's never known the Lord to come in get discipled, get reconciled and cleaned up. But what about the wave of people who have left the church, have turned their back on the Lord, were once your brother, once your sister, and when the Lord meets them again and they come home, are you going to be the face of the Father? Are you going to be someone who says, that hurt, that hurt what you went through, that hurt. I have empathy for you. I'm going to show you compassion passion and action, and welcome you home into the church. 
I'm going to welcome you home into my, my living room. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Tell me what the Lord did in your life. Where have you been? Let me clean you up. Let me love you well. Come home. The power of forgiveness brings people home and gives them a spot, gives them a place to stay, makes them want to stay home. Right? So Genesis 45, we fast forward a little bit. We're going to read 45 and then a little bit after uh, Genesis 50 as well. Little did this family know this meeting of reconciliation would prove pivotal for more than one generation. So Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Remember, young Joseph, Jacob's son. He grows up. He was a dreamer. He lacked a little discretion sometimes and told dreams too early, it seemed, because his brothers hated him for it. And they despised him, and, and, and they betrayed him, and they sold him to a group of uh, a caravan going to Egypt as a slave. Uh, by God's favor, and a, a lot of events in between those two, he ends up second in command in the most powerful nation in the world, an overseer of distributing stored food during a time of famine that God had prepared him for. Joseph, after over 20 years, without seeing his brothers who had betrayed him, must have remembered the moment between his father and Esau. He was there when it happened. He watched probably his father in great anxiety and fear approach Esau, and Esau, it says, ran to meet him and embraced him. He saw his own father, who had betrayed his brother, be forgiven and be reconciled and come back to unity again. That probably, I know, it never left him. It never left him. He watched his family extend forgiveness. In a moment of vulnerability where the story could have gone much differently, forgiveness was extended. Surely Joseph was taught by the reconciliation of Jacob and Esau what forgiveness and love looks like. So let's read Genesis 45. Sorry, I can throw it back up. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. They had come to Egypt in a time of famine. They hadn't recognized him up to this point. Um, is my father Isaac still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified of his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. For the next five, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So the brothers pick up from Canaan and they move to Egypt. After um, Jacob sees Joseph again, he blesses his sons and he passes away. And the brothers approach Joseph one more time in Genesis 50. Let's read this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? And pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. Like, what if that was just a one-time thing? <laughs> what if in the, you know, the, all of the emotions of the moment, you know, maybe he didn't have a sword on him the first time. Like, what's going on? <laughs> so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Let's go to the next slide. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers and the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive their sins. And the servants of God, your father, when their message came, Joseph wept. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. 
We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Here's the famous line. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke to them kindly. We can learn something from Joseph here. The justice of God is a beautiful thing. It's a mysterious thing at times. What if things happened in your life that were allowed so that, like Joseph, you could go forth and literally bring restorations to the wounds in yourself that you've been healed, that you're now going to distribute the blessing of God through that? That you now have a powerful testimony, like Pastor Chris was talking about at the beginning of testimonies and, and Raul as well as the power of the testimony. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus wants to work through your life so that your testimony can become someone else's. When they hear yours, you can bring breakthrough to them. The power of forgiveness, number three, unites us. There were resources that Joseph held that the brothers would have never had access to unless forgiveness was involved. He could have withheld. He could have chosen to stay divided. But instead, Joseph chose forgiveness. Joseph chose unity. And through that story, the, the, the unity of that story, the Israelites had so much more in store for them. Let's look at Psalm 133.1, if we have it up there. Psalm 133.1. How good and pleasant it, it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, the high priest, down the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing and life forevermore. Unity gives us access to the anointing, to the blessing. When we forgive, we allow unity's fruit in our life, the blessing of God to flow through us like oil. The power of forgiveness, number four, unlocks inheritance. Jacob renamed Israel, the brother's father. They came to Egypt with the whole family to see Joseph again. Bless each son with their birthright prophetic blessing before he passed away. Together, in their unity as a family again, prophetic inheritance was released over each one of them. And you notice not only the 12 brothers that we now know as the 12 tribes of Israel, but also Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were also mentioned in that list of blessing and birthright inheritance. Joseph had stood up for his family, and God stood up for his, his kids. It released inheritance over them. Forgiveness brought them together. Forgiveness prepared the way for the father to meet with them again in reunion. When forgiveness is extended, it affects more than the people directly involved. Number five, the power of forgiveness prepares the next generation for the work of the Lord. His sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, had access to a prophetic blessing because Joseph, instead of out of rage, getting rid of his brothers, letting them starve, letting them go back. He brought them close. He spoke kindly to them. He provided for them. He reassured them that everything was going to be okay because we were together again. There was no rift. There was no tension. There was no unforgiveness. 
Joseph watched his father and his uncle reconcile, bless one another. So he grew up and he modeled the same behavior. Do you think it was easy? <laughs> no. There were years he spent in a literal prison, probably going over every single word and moment that he remembered a betrayal from his brothers. But somewhere along the way, he made the decision to say, no, I can't go back. Surely a good God can use the situation to bring me into my destiny. Surely something good must come out of this. So what worth is it to me to live in bitterness and unforgiveness? Joseph, he watched them reconcile. He modeled the same behavior. I want my children to see us live a bitter free life. Not an ignorant life of, oh, no, that person's great. I'm going to tell them when I need to protect them from certain situations or, or people that would want to intentionally cause harm to our family. But they will never hear me curse. They will never hear me curse someone and wish them harm, that they will always hear us bless our enemies. Bless those who curse you. Bless those who persecute you. When they're brought up, they would hear blessing, not cursing, that they would see the miracle of God's healing and faithfulness proven in the way that we forgive, the way that we talk about people, <laughs> right? That they would extend mercy the same way they've seen mercy extended. That they would learn God's ways in the scripture. That they would see it activated in the way that we live. I'm going to uproot the bitterness weed now so it won't affect my family down the road. I'm going to deal with things promptly. There's value in dealing with things promptly. And that doesn't mean that it's one and done. <laughs> If it was one and done, Peter would have never asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should we forgive? Up to seven times. He probably was thinking, I did that seven times. He's going to give me a thumbs up, gold star, pat on the back. And he said, no, up to 70 times seven. And Peter probably said, oh, I haven't done that yet. But is God saying exactly 490 times? No. He's saying every time the wound comes up, forgive. Forgive. Scott said last week, don't fake it until you make it. Face it until you make it. Your emotions will follow an obedient spirit to the Lord. So whenever we declare, Lord, I forgive them. I'm not feeling it right now. I still feel anger. I still feel hurt. I forgive them. And you know what really helps? I'm going to give you some practical things about how to walk out forgiveness. When you pray for them. When you really pray for them. When you actually mean what you pray. <laughs> Not like, Lord, bless them. Amen. Done. Check. They're blessed. Don't got to worry about it no more. <laughs> no, praying for them and actually meaning what I pray. God, would you bless their family? Would you bless their marriage? Would you let their kids grow up in a peaceful home? If something's like a pattern of behavior that's harmful to themselves or other people, Lord, would you illuminate that to them? Because I don't want them to go on being hurt and hurting other people because it's not your will, that you're such a good father, that you extend such good mercy, that he's good enough to illuminate, that we would actually pray blessing over people who have hurt us. 
that we would serve them with happy and humble hearts. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Maybe a boss gets on your nerves and then you have to go out of your way and do something special for him or something like that. You know, like, really look at, are you all familiar with your love languages? You know, it's acts of service, words of affirmation, gifts, quality time. There's one more, I can't remember. Physical touch, yes. So, if you look at the way that, hey, <laughs> how do I show love? How do I show love, right? Cody's is words of affirmation. And so whenever he gets on my nerves, I just say, I love you so much. <laughs> I am having an obedient spirit right now, and I think you're awesome. <laughs> no, it's usually the other way around. <laughs> no, uh, but I really would pay attention to the way that God has designed you to love people well. Practice it on the people who get on your nerves, on the people who have hurt you, that you would bless them. If you're not in an opportunity or, or a good space to safely reconcile with that person, or if it's not wisdom at the time, that you would be generous towards them and generous towards the Lord, that you would go out of your way to love them well, to love them well, to serve, and not wait for an apology to forgive them. A lot of times we don't have the, well, it seems like luxury. It took decades for the brothers to come and meet Joseph again and repent. But a lot of times we'll never get a repentance from someone who hurt us deeply. Is that okay with you? Is that okay with us? Can we forgive them? Can we really love them well if we don't have to wait for an apology? Can we make the decision now, today, to say, it's not worth it for you to be in debt to me. I'm never going to get it back anyway. But I know that the Lord loves justice, that justice and righteousness are the foundations of his throne. So surely he's going to take care of me. So I'm not going to live in bitterness. I'm not going to live in unforgiveness. I'm not going to wait on somebody to go first. I'm going to go first and say, I forgive. I forgive and I bless. When emotions flare up, it's okay. You don't have to bury them, but bring them to the Father. <laughs> bring them to Jesus. Jesus, who experienced the worst betrayal, who experienced his name being smeared in the mud, going to him and saying, I know you have experience in this. Show me what you see. Yes. You know, this week, I was praying because I just want to make sure I didn't have anybody. I wasn't forgiven because then I got to preach on forgiveness. <laughs> and I don't want to, you know, like have that. So I'm kidding. But no, I really was praying. I just said, Lord, I want to forgive like you forgive. I want to, in 20 years, now forgiveness is less of a workout and more of a reflex. Yeah. Like I want that to become That's my good. default. I don't want offense to be the first thing that just roots in me. I want it to, if something takes a day to get over I want it to take half a day to get over or an hour to get over or the blink of an eye. And I'm like, that doesn't even bother me. Yeah. That's fine. I, I don't even have an appetite for that kind of stuff. Forgiveness is, is too powerful for me not to have that, you know. So I, I asked the Lord, I just want to forgive like you forgive. And I heard him say, 
have you been hurt like I've been hurt? If we really think about it, if we really think about the depths of how Jesus was hurt by people closest to him, surely, surely, then we can forgive the people who have hurt us. If we really want to be like him, if we really want to walk out what he walked and do what he did, we have to recognize that he's been through it. He's not a savior without empathy. We, we sang about it this morning. The son of suffering. What he bought, what he purchased, he knew that we would need today. He knew that we would need it, and he's made it available for us. We've got to get good at saying, I'm sorry. Well, y'all think about apologizing to people. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> no, we've, we've got to get good at saying, I'm sorry. You know, like, well, I don't have anything to, to say I'm sorry about. Well, there was some type of offense there. I mean, really ask the Holy Spirit, come in and examine my heart. And if you are innocent, say sorry and I love you anyway. <laughs> Maybe sometimes people just need an open door. Will you open it for them? Will you lead the way in forgiveness? Will you be a powerful person and forgive and let them in? And be met with kindness. The power of forgiveness, number six, releases us to pray. In Romans 12, verses 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Verse 18 says, if it's possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everybody don't take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it's mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good who got excited when we heard the phrase, you will heap burning coals on his head? <laughs> you guys need to forgive. I don't know. <laughs> Did you know the, the phrase used here, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head was originally written in Proverbs, I believe, 25 or 22. And it was a common Arabic saying at the time that was used as an offering of wanting someone to repent, of wanting someone to come in reconciliation with another brother. That phrase was used that there. And I want to ask and propose, what if the justice of God in its fullness not only looks like bringing you personal vindication, recompense, and healing, but also bringing revenge on the gates of hell, of the spirit that was behind 
the wound in the first place. Because if our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and the powers of darkness, what if God's vengeance in the situation involves the villain of the story repenting and not spending an eternity in hell? What if, what if we really meant what we prayed? What if the burning coals in Isaiah 6-6, the same coals word is used there. Isaiah the prophet is having a vision. He says, then one of the seraphim angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. When he touched my mouth, he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What if we, when we loved our enemy instead of expecting coals of punishment? We prayed for coals that purify. That's what I want you to really get today. That our prayers, the, the tone that we use is going to shift whenever we pray for people's purification and their salvation and their healing. Because the pain that's inflicted now is not comparable for someone spending an eternity away from him. And that's hard. That's hard to think about whenever you've been so, so wounded. But that we would see with the eyes of Jesus, who in some of his last words said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That we would pray, and that we would serve, and that we would love and bless with coals not for punishment, but coals that purify, that we would pray and that we would bless our enemies and that we would forgive. To close, this is the power of forgiveness in my life, in your life. It is the fruit here. Number one, to allow God's work to be seen in people's lives. The power of forgiveness brings people home. It unites us. It unlocks inheritance. It prepares the next generation for the work of the Lord, and it releases us to pray. Let's stand. If you're a part of the prayer team, would you come up here, Stephen, if you could come to the keys for me? Let's just put our hearts before the Lord this morning. In a prophetic act, would we just put our hands over our heart for a moment? put it in front of you. Father, here it is. Here's my history. Here's my pain. Here's some roots of bitterness I see springing up. Great gardener, would you come in and uproot everything that doesn't need to be there? Would you give me your eyes to see? Would you give me your heart to forgive? Would you give me the power and the anointing of the great intercessor Jesus to pray for my enemies? And the ministry of reconciliation would be vivid in my life, that people would see God's miracle working power in the way that I've been wounded and the way that I forgive and the way that I can extend forgiveness to everybody. Lord, let there be no offense that keeps me from you. Let there be nothing standing in between, nothing 
in debt, no, no one in debt to me, no bitterness. I pray that you would just soften our hearts. Lord, that you would just give supernatural peace to our emotions behind these circumstances. Lord, I pray that as we make the decision, the choice to forgive, our emotions would follow, flowing like water, that we would look up one day and be like, wow, I never knew I could have this much peace. I never knew this was available to me. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Oh, that we would be like you. Oh, that we would forgive, that we would extend mercy. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.